As you know, we've been working through, or have worked through a series in 1 Samuel. And what we're doing now is we're moving on, going on to heading towards 1 Corinthians coming up. But we have a couple things happening. We've got, you know, we're in Lent going on, and we've got a couple other things, of course, like Easter, which is a big deal going on. So what we want to do this morning, I want to do a passage that's very, very well known. Now, always, there's a danger with a well-known passage. It's like, uh-huh, been there, got it, bought the T-shirt, I got it. But it's, we have to pause a little bit and say, okay, what does this passage mean? What's the significance of what this passage talks about? And what we want to do this morning, we're going to move from a shepherd, a shepherd named David that we've read a lot about, to the shepherd, the ultimate shepherd, Jesus the shepherd. And so that's what we're going to be looking on. And what we know is from the Old Testament, going way back even before that, that we, the, the idea of a shepherd was a very, very important one. And it went way back before that. There's a passage in 2 Samuel chapter 7, 8 that we looked at. And this is where the Lord is speaking through the prophet. And it said, now this is what you're to say to my servant David. You remember this passage. This is what the Lord of hosts said. It's God speaking. I took you, talking to David, from the pasture and from following the sheep to be ruler over my people Israel. And remember that passage in 2 Samuel chapter 7 is very, very important. It's making that point and saying, David, you're not going to build a house, a temple for me, but I'm going to build you a line of kings who will ultimately become the one who is the Messiah. And so we have that kind of background for that helps us we get to our passage that we're going to now. Now, again, what we saw, the promise was a line of kings from David, and it would include with the son of David, that is Jesus, the Messiah. And so that is an important part of what we're doing here. And by the way, that, I have sh that idea of a shepherd who cares you goes way before even like Abraham. Back in the time of Hammurabi, they talked and referred to themselves as kings as shepherds. Hammurabi was one of the great kings in the past there, and he described himself, Hammurabi did, as the shepherd of the black-headed people. Now, I'm not sure if they liked that name or not, but probably didn't matter. But the point was, is even before the time of Abraham, you have groups that are saying the idea of the shepherd cares for the flock. That big idea of care, of protection, all goes into that, and it continues on as you, we go into the Bible. And so what we're doing now is moving from the literal shepherd, the one that David as a boy was caring for, to the metaphorical shepherd, the picture that we have in the scriptures of Jesus the great shepherd. And this is the passage we're going to be looking at. It's relatively short. It's John chapter 10, verses 1 to 18. If you want to follow along in your scripture, whatever passage you have, you might want to do that. If not, you can just follow on the screen. But we're going to be looking at Jesus the great shepherd, and it's such a wonderful passage. And we recognize that here, we, like Tom read Psalm you know, 23, and the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. It's such an important passage. And so what we want to do is just quickly go through and make sure we understand what the passage is about. And then there's like three little emphasis I want us to focus on as we come to God's word. First of all, let's go back and get a little context. And it's important for us to remember, what's the story going on here? And so we have to go back very quickly to chapter 9. You don't have to turn to if you want. But it's the famous story of the healing of the blind man. It's the healing of the blind man who is completely, he's been born, born blind. He could never see. And what happens is he comes to Jesus and said, if you could help me, like, can I? I bet you I can. And he takes a little bit of spit and puts it with dirt, which seems very, very strange, puts it on his eyes, and the man goes to the pulp, I mean the, um, the, 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 the Siloam, and washes, and he comes out, and he can see. And everybody goes, oh, 
No one has ever been able to do that for a person who was born blind. And it's like, well, this person does. And it was interesting. They asked him, what's his name? And the guy said, I don't even know. At that point, he did not know. And that leads to a big crisis because everybody knew nobody who's born blind is ever going to see again. And he's saying, but this guy did in a very strange way, but I can see. And what that led from there at that time was an interrogation. Remember the Pharisees and the Sadducees said, come on, tell us what happened. How could this be? We know this couldn't happen. And he's going, well, I'm telling you, I can see. And they said, well, uh, maybe something's weird here. We don't know what's going on. And so first they interrogated. Then a second time, another group come and say, okay, get the parents here. And they said, now tell us, was this your son? I said, yeah. Could he ever see? No, I told you he was born blind. Everybody knew that. Then how can they see? He says, I don't know. And they're like, this can't be true. And what happened, of course, is after these two kind of interrogations, people don't know what to see. But here's the tragedy of it. The sad irony is this. The blind man can now see because of what a Jesus did. But the seeing Pharisees, they cannot see what God has done and the fullness of what God has done in the healing miracle. And so it's a very tragic thing that's going on in this passage. That's the context of chapter 9 that brings us into this important chapter, chapter 10, chapter 10, 1 to 18. And you're familiar with this passage, but we'll go through it quickly. I assure you, Jesus says, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the door but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the door is the sheep, is the shepherd of the sheep. Again, Jesus is so great in telling stories and using things that people knew to help them under. He was in many ways the consummate communicator. When he's with the fishermen, he could tell stories about fish and say, you know, I think you ought to fish over on this side of the boat. And they said, what? That's a waste of time. And they catch the thing. He goes, whoa, something interesting about this guy. If he was around all the time, we'd be catching all the fish we ever needed. But so when he's with fishermen, he told fish stories. When he's with farmers, he told the story about a guy who took this grain and he threw it along the side and some went deep and some did not and some was taken away and he told great stories and he went to the people and so they'd understand what he's talking about. When they wanted to deal with builders, if somebody's building, he told a story about somebody who built their house upon the rock and comparing to the guy who did not build it upon the rock and what happened to him. So Jesus communicates in a way that people get it, they understand it. And that's particularly what he does in this passage this morning in the chapter that we're in. Jesus said again, I assure you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen. Again, probably the idea here is this may be a couple families that work together. They had a sheep pen and they would take turns watching over the sheep to make sure they're there. But they always had to be careful. There were thieves, there were robbers. You always had somebody there to keep them from getting stolen. So the one who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. So again, he's using the metaphor of the shepherd describing what Jesus is doing for his own people. And so he says, the doorkeeper opens it for him. And here's a key phrase. And the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought all, his out, all of his outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they recognize his voice. That's going to be another key term coming up. Verse 5, they will never follow a stranger. Instead, they'll run away from him because they don't recognize the voice of strangers. Jesus gave them this illustration. Notice, again, he's using a metaphorical thing to be able to help us understand what he's doing for us. Jesus gave them this illustration, but they didn't understand what he was telling them. In other words, they didn't quite get what Jesus was trying to tell them. So Jesus said it again. I assure you, 
I am the door of the sheep. Now, again, it's not a literal door. There was no door like that. But the whole point was, I am the way. I am the passageway for you to be able to find life. He said, I assure you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came, bef all, all who came before me are thieves and robbers. He's probably looking back to the fact that there were so many prophets that were liars and people that do it. And it could be he's talking here about even now at this point where he's getting so close to the cross. He's dazed from coming to the cross. But looking at those, looking at the rabbis, particularly the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and basically looking back at them, they are not the ones that you're to follow. He said, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep don't listen to them. They know who their real shepherd is. And so in verse 9, it says, Jesus says again, he repeats it for emphasis, I am the door. In other words, I am the way, the way for you to find real life. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he'll be saved, and he'll come and go out and find pasture. Again, he's speaking to shepherds in that sense. They get it. That'd be great. What a wonderful shepherd that would be. A thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. But Jesus, I have says, I have come that they may have life and have it in abundance. That's a famous verse. Many of you have probably many times memorized that verse. I have come that they may have life. In a world where there's so much darkness and there's so much death, I came here, Jesus said, that you may have life and not just have it, but have it in abundance. It's like more than you could ever imagine. When you come to faith in Christ, it's going to be more than you could ever understand or appreciate what all that God wants to do for you. And so he says in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Again, Jesus, again, is now using metaphorical language to give him the idea of the fact that he is going to be that ultimate sheep who's going to be sacrificed and who's going to give his life that the world may have right a right relationship with God. He said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his, sleep, his life for the sheep. The hired man, since he's not one of the shepherds and he doesn't own the sheep, he leaves them and runs away. When he sees a wolf coming, the wolf then snatches and scatters them. In other words, again, probably looking back at some of the religious leaders that were so much turned away from Jesus, it's saying, you know what? These guys, they don't have any you know, skin in the game. They don't care what happens to people, but Jesus does. And so that's what he said. These people who don't have, they're not into it. He said, you know what? They doesn't own the sheep. They don't care. And so Jesus keeps telling stories, using a metaphorical story to help people say, this is who I am. I am that good shepherd that you're talking about. Verse 23, this happens because he's a hired man. He doesn't care about the sheep. And then he repeats it again. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. Again, this is, this passage is so full, we could spend several hours here on, on the, putting it, to get, to put it together, but we won't. Notice, he said, as the Father knows me, I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. The second time he's brought this idea of the fact that he will be the ultimate sacrifice. And then verse 16 is a little bit odd. But I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Now, some people get some... Somewhere they get it, I'm not sure. Some people say, well, he's talking about people living on other planets. Is it possible? Uh, maybe. Is it probable? Probably not. It's probably just simply what, exactly what he's saying. When he says, I have other sheep, he's talking about the fact that what God is going to be doing here through Jesus 
is the fact there's not just going to be a few, but there's going to be thousands and tens of thousands of non-Jewish people that are going to be coming into faith of Jesus Christ. And so he's looking at the fact that when he is gone and when he dies and he's resurrected and the church begins, that they're going to be pouring in, as we know from the early church, of how God worked that way. So I think that's what he's talking about there. And they said, they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock and one shepherd. Again, no clarity here of that there's only one great shepherd. He is the one. Again, Jesus is talking metaphorically, but God, he's obviously making his point. He is the key to coming into relationship with God. And that's very, very important in the passage that we're looking at right here. This is why the Father loves me. Now he makes it much clearer. He's getting away from metaphor and talking about clarity of what's coming in the next few days. This is why the Father loves me, because I'm laying down my life so I can take it up again. He's getting about as close as he wants to be in that sense, talking about the death and resurrection. He said, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down. In other words, the death of Christ is not some tragic accident. This is exactly what his father has called him to do. He is committed to going to the cross, being resurrected, ascending to heaven in the right hand, and doing what God has called him to do. He said, I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. I've received this command from my father. And he makes it very clear, saying, here's what's coming. I'm telling you what's going to come during this week. Come the time that's called it Holy Week, which is kind of a strange thing, because that Holy Week is going to happen, the death of Jesus and the tragedy. But the point is, it's saying, listen, this is what I've called. This is why the father has sent me, and this is why I'm willing to do this for you. And then it ends this little passage we're mentioning right here, 19. It says, again, a division took place among the Jews because of these words. Many of them were saying, oh, he's got a demon. He's crazy. Why do you listen to him? So some people are like, he's real. I understand it. I understand what he's saying. He's saying he is the only way to have a relationship with God. And other people say, no, he's nuts. He's crazy. And yet people are following him. And so what we have in this passage, there's really but many things we could co focus on. I want to do with three. That's three. Yes, three. And the first one is this. It's dealing with this issue about the great contrast we have here. And this is important because we, Jesus talks about that he is the door, that he is the way. And it's interesting because obviously the people, particularly the Pharisees and the Jewish people, they're picking up what Jesus is saying. Because if you notice what's saying, the big contrast here is Jeremiah chapter 23. In Jeremiah chapter 23, Jesus is telling the story. But going, excuse me, I'm going back to the Old Testament, going back to Jeremiah 23. In Jeremiah 23, you see that what's happening is Jeremiah is castigating the religious leaders of his time. And he's saying, you're supposed to be shepherds of the sheep. Instead, you're eating the sheep, literally. Anybody hungry for lamb? Well, kill another lamb and we'll eat it. And his point is saying, that's what you're doing. Instead of caring for my sheep that belong to God, you don't have any problem killing them. In other words, you are not the kind of shepherd that you ought to be. And so he starts off saying, woe to the shepherds. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter my, peep, my, my pasture. This is the Lord's declaration. Therefore, this is what the Lord God of Israel says about the shepherds who shepherd my people. You have scattered my flock, banished them. You've not attended them. I will attend to you because of your evil acts. Now, again, particularly the rabbis, but plenty of the Jewish people who were following the scriptures, they would know exactly what he's talking about here. 
God is going to bring judgment upon the leadership of Israel. And this goes back way back before the time of Jesus. But he said, here's what God's going to do. Because you who were given the privilege to be the shepherds of the sheep have instead made that something good for you. And others have struggled. And so he says, I will intend to you because of your evil acts. What's interesting, that little passage is followed by Ezekiel 34. We've got a full chapter where all Ezekiel says is, you're done, you're toast. He doesn't use that exact term. He says, you're done, you're toast because of the fact that you were given the privilege to be the shepherds and you have failed in that and I'm bringing judgment upon you. And so you can see already as these people are listening to Jesus talk and he deals with these issues, it's like, I get it. He's, he's going after us again, Pharisees and Sadducees are saying. And Jesus said, yeah, I am. When you've had the great privilege and opportunity of caring for God's people and you failed to do it, you chose not to do it, all I can tell you is judgment is coming upon you. And so that passage is very, very important because they get, they get it. Jesus tells them judgment coming on the rulers of Israel. God is going to do something big. And so Matthew, we turn to the New Testament, Matthew chapter 23, we have this passage where Jesus speaks to the Pharisees and Sadducees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Now that's not the way to get people to like you, particularly when you're maybe five or six days away from a cross. But you can see why in the time of Jesus, and here we're coming close to Easter, is you can see why these Pharisees and Sadducees saying, this guy's got to go. Now, there were some that heard what Jesus said and said, you know, he's right. But the majority said, we've got to kill him. We can't allow him to keep going like this. We are the leadership of Israel. And we have Jesus here telling us that we're failures and that we haven't done what God has called us to do. And so he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And he said, you know what? It's true. And there's going to be judgment for you. What happened in that judgment is one of the worst things that happened to Israel. 70 AD, Romans came in under Titus. No one knows exactly who lit the fire. But when it happened, it was awful. Thousands of people died. The temple, which was so beautiful, where so many years and decades had been to build it, was crashed, smashed. And people looked back and said, that's the judgment that God was talking about. The leaders of Israel would not do what God asked them to do. And he told them, what's coming is judgment. This is important because we live in a culture that says, I like Jesus when I like him the way he's a happy Jesus with little babies sitting on his lap. But what about when Jesus, and of course all the prophets in the Old Testament say, there are times where God brings judgment. And this was one of the biggest. In 70 AD, we don't know if it's true or not, but we were told that when 70 AD, when this happened and those that survived, from that point all the way up to the tip of, of moving up into Italy, you could be walking along the major path, the major road that goes north and south, and you would never be out of sight of a dead Jew hanging on a cross. Their goal was, the Romans was, we will teach you that you will never even think about going against us again. 
and it was awful for the Jewish people. Thousands and thousands died. And they were not allowed to go back to where the temple was, to even to worship. Nobody likes the idea of judgment. But Jesus talks more about judgment than any other person in the New Testament. That's the first one. The second one is this, and it's very important. It's what is called the scandal of particularity. And it just means simply this. It means as Christians, we believe what Jesus said is true, saying that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That is a phrase that in today's culture, today, particularly among academics and particularly in people in colleges, many people who find that absolutely cruel. You don't, you don't really believe that Jesus is just the only way to heaven, right? And Jesus is saying, yeah, that's exactly what I said. And so what we see in this passage is the whole question is, is Jesus the one and only, or is Jesus the one of many? You see, in our culture today, and if you tell people, well, I believe in Jesus, and I, but you know, there's many other good people. There's Buddha, and there's so-and-so, and there's this. These are all good people. They're lovely people, and, and, we, and, and this is the way it should be. Now, you don't really believe that Jesus is the only way, right? That is one of the most critical decisions you'll ever make in your life. Is Jesus the way, or is Jesus one of the ways? It doesn't go well in a, in a campus, I should say on a secular campus, to say, I believe that Jesus is the one and only. People say, oh, well, you're mean. You're arrogant to think that you're the only one that's going to heaven. We're only your type of people. There's billions of people around the world. Are you saying they're all going to hell? Da, 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 da. If you're willing to say just Jesus is one of many great leaders, you'll be fine. But Jesus makes it abundantly clear what he is saying. People think like this. You get things like this on campuses. Oh, isn't it arrogant to think that just you and the Christians like you are going to go to heaven when there's so many religious, there's so many nice people in this world? How could you believe something like that? Are you crazy? Are you stupid? The reality, God has revealed himself in Christ and the person of Christ in the scriptures. And he said, that's enough. Enough for you to understand of what God is doing. We'll go back to that passage. It was in verse 7. Jesus said again, I assure you, I am the door of the sheep. Okay? All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to him. He's making it very clear. There is one way to come to relation to God. is through coming through Jesus Christ. That is a phrase that many people find very insulting. They find it very arrogant. The question is, is it true? If it is true, that has a huge significance for us. And it calls us to making sure that we're making sure that we're sharing the good news of the gospel, that people will know that. But we have a Christian culture. I'm using that in the broadest sense of the term, that many of them are going more and more towards the whole idea of as long as you just are kind and nice to people, it's all going to work out. Okay? It's not what the scriptures say. It's not what Jesus taught. And there will be a price to pay for some of us if we're willing to follow Jesus. I don't mean necessarily we're going to be killed or going to be shot or anything like that, but we, it could be very hurtful for us if we're willing to say that Christ claimed that he was the only way. And if he is, what does that mean? Jesus came back and said again, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and come in and find good pasture. Okay, he's making it clear. That's one way in. 
so this is going to be very hard. Some of you, some of we have, my daughters are, for example, two daughters are in good colleges. I'm grateful for that. But they live in a culture that's very secular. Same thing at UTD. Pick any school you want, and you'll find people who are going to go, what? You're not kidding, are you? I mean, with a billion people out here, you think that somehow this little group of Christians or something, that they're the only, yeah. Why? Because it seems that's what the scripture teaches. Jesus goes out of his way to make it absolutely clear. You know, whether you believe it or not, that's your choice. But he said, you need to understand exactly what Jesus said. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me, period. Jesus said, for unless you believe that I am who I say I am, you will die in your sins. That is not a happy thought. That does not draw people to you. And the fact that you're willing to say it, but I think that's clearly what the scripture says, that that's a real issue. And it's a real issue because it really asks the question, what does that mean? If Jesus is not the one and only, but only one of the spiritual leaders, then what about the cross? In other words, if everybody is ultimately going to get there and every religion is just as valid, then what's the point of the cross? Why would God be so terrible to allow his son to go through an awful death on a Roman cross if it wasn't necessary? What a terrible father he must be to allow his son to go through that agony if the cross has no significance. If you can go to any other religion and it's just as good, it's easier, why not go to that one? And so the cross becomes one of the most important things for us. I was saying, what do we know about the cross? The cross was there. And the fact is we have that all of us have sinned. We have all turned away from God. We need to be rescued. He's come to rescue us through his death, through his ascension. And we have life with him. And as Christians, as people that are committed to the scriptures and committed to Christ, we have no choice but to recognize the cross is where we meet the Lord, where God has worked in our lives and how important that is. Third one, real quickly, we'll go through this. That passage that we have that we went through is talking about the shepherd's care. And I wanted to end with this one because... Even just our own congregation, people we know, friends and family, people go through hard times. There are people whose hearts are broken. There are people who have got issues that they're dealing with, sometimes medical, sometimes other issues, relationships, families, friendships. And that passage takes us back to the fact is, thank you, God, that we've got a good shepherd. He's not a pretty good shepherd. He's the best shepherd. They don't come any better than him. And he's there for us. Back to that passage. Jesus says, I assure you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the door but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. The doorkeeper opens it for him, and the sheep hear his voice. They know the voice of the Lord who calls them into relationship with him. He calls them by his own sheep by name. I mean, that's neat to know that, you know, God knows me by my name. He knows my struggles, he knows my hurts, he knows my failures, he knows me. He doesn't have to look it up in a little chart and think, who's that guy that lives on 1618 Villanova? I mean, he knows me. He knows you. He knows your struggles. He knows the suffering that only you know. He said, I, he knows his sheep by name and he leads him out. When he has brought out all his own outside, 
he goes ahead. In other words, he's going to lead the way. He's not only going to care for you, but he's going to lead you. He's going to protect you. He said the sheep will follow him because they recognize his voice. When we come to Christ, it's the privilege of following the voice of the Lord. He's saying, follow me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Our Father, we thank you for this beautiful passage. We thank you that you, Lord Jesus, are our great shepherd, that not only have you cared for us and shepherded us, but you continue to do so. And so, Father, we pray that you'd help us in the dark moments, the times when we have struggles and don't know where you're at and our hearts are broken, that you remind us again, Lord Jesus, that you are the great shepherd, that you are the door in which we find life and peace and encouragement. Lord, help us as we prepare ourselves to come to the table. We ask that you prepare our hearts to be ready to hear your word through, through, and through all this, Lord, and that you would use us to serve you well. I pray this in Jesus' name.